All right. Good morning, everyone. Okay, we're grateful to have you here with us this morning. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements, and then Kristen's going to make an announcement related to uh, some needs in childcare. So, just uh, real quick, if you have uh, trusted Christ and have not made that profession in the waters of baptism, we're uh, working towards planning a baptism service in the near future. So there's a sign-up sheet on the table out front. Uh, if you have just interest in that and you say, Pastor Tim, I'm not sure that that's something God wants me to do or not, and you have questions about that, please sign up and then we'll reach out to you and help you uh, with any questions that you might have understanding uh, what that is about. Okay, so just make sure you sign up for that. The other thing we want to give you a reminder on is our Sunday school classes. We have one on apologetics. They start at 9.30 on Sunday morning and then a class on marriage that uh, Pastor James Long and Ed Quinones are teaching together. So just want to encourage you to remember those things. If you have teenagers, we have a teenage Sunday school class as well uh, on Sunday mornings that I'm teaching. And uh, we would love to have your young people come and participate in those things. Okay, so I'm going to ask Kristen if she would come and uh, share her announcement, and then she's going to pray, and we'll go into our season of worship. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Kristen Kira. I coordinate child care here at the chapel. For those of you who don't know, each Sunday we fully staff two rooms uh, for our children here at the chapel for the duration of our whole service. So we provide childcare from babies like six months all the way up to kids who have not yet started kindergarten. Um, you may have noticed that lately we have a lot of families that have a lot of kids that fall in that age group. Um, so, so much so that I have had to increase the number of adult volunteers that we schedule each week just to make sure that we can fully staff those rooms safely um, for any given Sunday with the amount of kids that we might have here at the chapel. So at this time, I'm looking for six new adult volunteers uh, to help on Sunday mornings. Generally speaking, I try not to schedule you any more than one time a month. Ideally, it's like every five weeks or even every six weeks is kind of the sweet spot of when um, we kind of reuse you cycle to cycle. Uh, right now, with how many volunteers we have who are wonderful, like it's not that we have a deficiency, we just need more um, because we have so many more kids that are coming out so often. Um, it does not require any time commitment other than you just coming on a Sunday morning and serving in one of our rooms. So if you are interested in helping out the chapel in this capacity, you can talk to me. I think my name and contact info has been in the weekly emails lately. It might still be in this, like the hard copy sleeves on your um, announcement pages, I don't know or not. Um, I'll be back by the chapel childcare area, which is in that back corner back there this morning. Um, you can reach out to me by email or you can come and chat with me this morning, um, but I'm looking for six more people in like the next like two weeks or so so we can start to get you involved in the month of November. There is a sign-up sheet on the where the sign-up sheets are as well, so if that's easier for you today just to jot your name and email down, that works for me as well. Okay, so if you have questions, find me after the service, but I look forward to talking with some of you. All right, pray with me. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here together on a Sunday morning, uh, learning about you and your character and praising you for who you are. We ask that you would uh, be with our worship team as they usher us into your spirit this morning, and that you would also be with Pastor Doug as he uh, shares your word with us. Open our ears and our hearts to what you have to say to us. Amen. Amen. 
Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, it's indeed good to praise the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High. For you make us glad by your deeds, and we sing for joy at all the works of your hands. For your works are great, O Lord, your thoughts are profound, and your love is deep. You spoke all that we need into being by your word. And as well, you brought us forth into life in your own image. You call us each by name to know you and to do your goodwill. And then you grow us and protect us in your strength. And for those of us who believe in your name, you then deliver us and safely and faithfully bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Therefore, almighty God, as you set before us all these things daily, both in the heavens and in the earth, and not only by your goodness and by your faithfulness, but also by your power and wisdom, you've set a great example for us. So let us acknowledge you as our creator and our savior, the Lord of our lives, the God who is our refuge and in whom we trust. And we ask that today, Lord, because of your faithful promises, you rescue us, you save us, you deliver us, you protect us, and you be with us this day. And we ask most of all, Lord, that you be glorified in us by our hearing of your word and our obeying your word this day through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. The word comes from, the word comes from Genesis. Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 2-1. This is the abbreviated version. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. Well, good morning. It's great to have you here. So we are starting this new series, and we're calling it First Things, Genesis 1 through 11, because so much um, of what we believe in the Bible as it continues finds its foundation in these first 11 chapters. So we think you'll find it to be very, very helpful. Um, the first three chapters are so packed that um, we've decided as a preaching team that we're going to spend two, two weeks on chapter one, two weeks on chapter two, and two weeks on chapter three. So you'll be stuck with me for the next two weeks. And then you'll be stuck with Tim for two weeks on chapter two, and then James two weeks on chapter three. And then after that, we'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll go a little bit quicker, but these first three chapters just have so much in them of so much significance. So 
One of the names that comes to mind when you think of New Jersey, when it comes to inventors, would be Thomas Edison. So I did a little bit of reading on Edison this week. Um, found out that he has, and this is just in the United States, this is not international, just in the United States, he had almost 1,100 U.S. patents for inventions. And I, I think the closest one to him was like Steve Jobs, and he had like a quarter of that. It was just, it was crazy. It was crazy. This guy was a, was a complete machine, uh, as, you're, as you can imagine. People would sometimes talk to him about all the failures though, that he had. And he had this quote, he said, I haven't failed. I found 10,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was just built into the system. When he's inventing, it's going to go fail, 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 or ad infinitum, success. And so we have the incandescent light bulb, motion pictures, batteries for self-starters for Model Ts, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. It's pretty impressive, especially for a guy like me, who is the opposite of an inventor. Now, Tim, Tim dabbles in some of this stuff. You go over and see some of the stuff that Tim's created. Tim, 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 does, Tim does a pretty good job. But he's no Edison, okay? <laughs> and, and, I'm no, and, and, and I'm no Tim Huff. <laughs> so I have, when I, when I look at some of these kinds of guys and go like, it's amazing the way they came up with that gadget. But they were using things that are already out there and just figuring out how to put it together. And thus, technology is a wonderful thing that we all benefit from. And as much as I'm awed by a guy like uh, Thomas Edison, <laughs> I was going to say Jefferson, I don't know why that is, Edison. That doesn't compare to God. Like... There's nothing, and then you look around, and there's all of this. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, if it's true, and it is, it should change everything about my life. And when we come to Genesis 1, I, I want to kind of walk you through some of these things here. In Genesis chapter 1. And there's a lot of minefields. Fair enough. That's why I have two weeks to try to do it. Um, so I'll try to, try to work through some of those things. Um, I want you to try to read it again with fresh eyes. If, you, if you've been around Christianity any period of time. If you haven't read Genesis 1. There's something wrong. You've read it. You maybe have read it quickly. But you've read it. We, we, we want to kind of work our way through it. And one of the things we find we live in a world when, when you talk about a creator God in a world of secular naturalism. And when I use the word naturalism, I mean there's no place for the divine, for the supernatural. Do, do, do you understand? So we live in, in a world with secular naturalism that promotes things like evolution, which means not sure how things even started, but things started to bump together randomly, and at some point by chance, if you give it enough billions of years, stuff comes together, a couple enzymes, and they get together, and, and then da -da, down the road after a long, long period of time. Talk about faith. It's got all kinds of holes in it. 
When you look in a telescope up, to, up into the, to the world or to, to the universe, how can you not be awed by what you see? Jay Richards has written a book. He's a really good scientist. And he talks about the fact that the earth is positioned exactly where it needs to be or else there, we could never sustain life. Move it one direction this way or that direction and everything changes. He talks about this apparent planet that's just hanging out there, but it's exactly where it needs to be or you or I wouldn't even be here. And Stephen Myers talks about, if you look into the microscope, he's done a lot of work with cell, the cell itself. He said, there is no engine that can compare to the complexity of the cell. He says, it's just, so whether you're looking in a microscope or a telescope, whether you look around or look up, wherever you look, you see God's handiwork, his fingerprints everywhere. And so we fight in a world saying, there is actually a God who is created. Right? I mean, that's kind of what we're, we're yelling. In the ancient world, it was the, it was the complete flip-flop of that. Because in the ancient world, the problem wasn't that people said, we don't believe there's a God, we can figure it all on our own. They thought there were tons of gods. And, 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 and think about this, folks. Moses is writing around 1400 BC, roughly. Okay, so what, 3,500 years ago. And um, how long has the nation of Israel been in, been in Egypt? You remember when they come out finally? 400 years. Do you think it, it was the tendency of any of those Israelites to pick up some of the theology of the world around them? Oh, for sure they would have picked it up. So much so that when you read Joshua 24, this is way after the, you know, they're in the land and, and all these things, uh, they're, they're coming into the land and so forth. I mean, this is much after they've actually been delivered. And Joshua was still saying at the end of his life, he's still saying, I wish you would put away the gods of Egypt. Really? They're still thinking this kind of polytheism Many gods view that, that the Egyptians had? Yeah, because it was all over the ancient Near East. And depending upon which tradition you look at, they believed that there was this fight that was going on, and out of that fight there was bloodshed, and one god grew out of this thing, and we have a sun god, and we have a moon god. And so these gods were all part of creation itself. And Moses has to come on the scene and say, no, 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 stop. Gods aren't part of creation, just all, and then this guy wins and that one doesn't and she and blah, all that. Oh no. There is one God and one God alone. And he is over creation. He is not within it. That's what Moses has to deal with. So as we hear what he's doing, as he attacks that, we can get perspectives as we have to go after this. Do you see the difference? The, the answer is still the same. There's one creator, God. But they were going after one thing, and we often are countering something very different. But the answer is the same. So as we work, work through here, I might mention something. Something as simple as, do you notice you will find 
that the sun and the moon are created in Genesis 1, but they're never identified as the sun and moon. It's called the greater and lesser light. And you may think that's kind of strange because the Bible can certainly use the word sun and moon. It does. The Old Testament does. And I think one of the reasons is in the Egyptian um, their theology, or I should call their mythology, sorry, in their mythology, they actually believe that there's a sun and a moon God. And I think this is just another slap from God himself saying, I'm over it. It's the greater light. It's the lesser light. I have control over all of that stuff. I'm not even going to use the titles you use. You know, something like that is probably going on. And, and, and so that's what they're going after. So as we hear it, just be aware of that. Something else, and, and I really will get to the text, all right, honestly. Um, there are a lot of debates over how you interplay Genesis 1 and science, right? We all we know that. And if you have more of a scientific mind, you've thought and probably wrestled with this stuff. Rightly so. And one of the things I would say is, um, among those who hold to the authority of Scripture, that the, what God says is trustworthy, and you can rely on it, there's various views on the interplay of how creation exactly happened. We don't get some of the intricate details sometimes that we would like. And so there's a, there's a group of Christians that you would call more young earth which believes the world was created, some would say, um, you know, 6,000 years ago, maybe 10,000 years ago, so something along those lines. And then there, there's other Christians that are called old earth creationists, who, who, who believe that God is creator, but actually believe he did, does it over an extended period of time. Um, and the way they get there, my best reading to try to simplify it, just so you know, the way they get it is one of three ways. You either find a gap of time before the first day of creation, and that comes out of verse 2 for those that try to go that direction. So what you say is, there was this long period of time where things weren't actually formed and filled yet, and who knows how long that was. And so, yeah, there's some very, very... Godly Christians that believe that. There's others that believe when you see the word day, day doesn't mean a 24-hour period when it says evening and morning, a first day, a second day, that kind of thing. Um, day actually is a prolonged period of time. And then there's some Christians who argue that, oh no, the days were literal days, but there's gaps in between the days. Because it doesn't literally say the first day, the second day. It says a first day, a second day, a third day. So you've got Christians that say young earth, old earth. What concerns me is that in any system that you don't move to a place of evolution that denies the direct act of God in creating and doesn't differentiate between the species. You can't go there. Because Genesis is very, very careful to say there's certain kinds. It's not like there was lizards and then all of a sudden, I'm going to have that lizard. Da, 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 start breathing. Ba, 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 man. Or, I mean, no, no. From the get-go, there's differentiation between the species. They're different. 
And so he used the word kinds, kinds, kinds all the way through. So as long as you don't lose that, we can debate young earth, old earth stuff. I, I lean more toward a, a younger earth is what I would call it. But having said that, I've got some very, very dear friends that we, 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 have, we have some debates on some of this stuff. And I'm not a scientist, and I wasn't there at the beginning either. And they weren't either. Right? So you, you see the challenges. So I just wanted you to take care. As we read through, there's some things that we can be completely confident in. And that's the stuff we want to hold on to. All right, that's a pretty long introduction, isn't it? I, but I don't know what else to do. You know, we have to, have to do, do something. And, and, but I do have two weeks, so that's a, that's a good thing. So what I want to do is this. Okay, is everybody awake? Are you okay? Okay, because you need to be awake today. Okay, you can't, be t- you can't be like sitting there going like, hey, did I ever put the oven on for that pot roast? Forget the pot roast. It doesn't matter. Just, just forget it. You know, let, let's, let's really focus in on and just do this here today. Okay, like, okay. I do like pot roasts though, and it's nice when they're cooked, but, but that, that, would be another, that would be another issue. So th- this is what I want to do in our time together, not to confuse you with charts, but I tried to, honestly, I tried to simplify it as much as I could, all right? You can tell me if I'm successful. Um, I, I want to just kind of talk our way through Genesis 1, and I want you to try to hear this again for the first time, as if you've never heard it before. But I think structurally, this is how I would understand the text is actually developing. It's going to give us this, and Steve read it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the declared statement. There's only one God, creator God, above creation, and he created it all. And so that's, you know, that's where he's going to, that's where he's going to make this statement. Then he's going to kind of give us the situation initially in verse 2. And then God's answer to that situation in verses 3 to the end of the chapter. And then another uh, summary statement, which Steve read, that basically said, the heavens and the earth are complete. That goes completely contrary to evolution. It's never complete in an evolutionary model. It's complete when God creates. And then a comment on the seventh day. So, I'm going to just leave that up there. You can completely ignore it if you'd like. But, but we're going to we're kind, of, kind of work through it uh, in that fashion. So the statement is given us. It's a wonderful statement. It has some parallels in John chapter 1. Great stuff. Great stuff. What's the original situation? Look at verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says, Now the earth was formless and empty, or we might say unfilled, okay, and, and basically, he's going to say, it's inhabitable. You can't, ha- you, you, you can't live in it. This story is telling me how we can have life. Okay? But it's formless and unfilled. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's the situation. What's the time period there? Text doesn't tell us. But what it tells us is, at the beginning, you're thinking, well, stuff's not formed, stuff's not filled, it's dark, and it's watery. That's what we're told. 
And you know, for, for, for Jews and many living in antiquity, um, it's, it's, the water was often foreboding, and rightly so. Wait till we get to the flood, okay? Because you, you're going to feel like you read some of this stuff again. Okay, anyway, does that kind of make sense? That's the situation. And I, I, some, I sometimes, you know, I, like I said, I'm not, a, I'm not real good at creating things, but once in a while, you know, I, I'll, when my kids were younger, we would get that glob of Play-Doh, you know, plop it down there, and, and you start doing something. And, and people say, what is that, Dad? Well, that, that, that's a house, can't you tell? You know, whatever. But, but, you know, I start forming things, and sometimes then I start creating little people or animals or whatever, and I stick them in there. And, and, and so you're all, you almost have this imagining, here's this kind of, Woodery, dark, unformed, unfilled, globby globbies, whatever. Not exactly, but sort of. And into that, the creator God brings incredible beauty. One day at a time. And with each one of these days of creation, scholars have made this argument, and I think rightly so. There's parallels between day one, two, and three and days four, five, and six. So God will form something on day one and fill that item in day four. He'll form something in day two. He'll fill it in day five. He'll form it in day three. He'll fill it in day six. So God forms and then he fills as you actually see the story progress. So let's, let's read through it. And, and the, the other thing I would say as we read through it, I feel like there's always caveats I always have to go through. But, but as we read through it, one of the things you'll find is there's patterns that come in like each day. Every day begins with God speaking. God says, let there be. And folks, what happens? Does it go through 11,000 patents? Or 10,000 failures? No, no, no. God says, let it be, and it was so. And so, so you, you see these patterns running around out, and then God will pull back, and unlike Edison, who would have to say with certain things, well, that didn't go so well. What does God say? It is good. Do, do, so watch those patterns as we read through each day, because you'll see them again and again and again. Uh, you see the power of the word of God's word here. All right, day one, verse three. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Not much tension there at all, right? Just, that's the way it is. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. So it wasn't like the darkness was evil. It just needs to be Needs the opposite, which is light. Like, aren't you glad like the lights go out at night? I would not like to sleep with the lights on all night. Maybe you like that. I don't. I like darkness. I just like light too. And so God does this separation. He calls the light day and he calls the, um, the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning. My, my, the NIV says the first day. There is no article before it. It is literally a first day. You don't have an article before it until day six and seven. But it just says there was morning, a first day. 
So there it is. He's forming. Watch in the first three days he's forming. Verse 2. God said, let there be a vault. Oh, you know what? For those of you that are visual, let me put that up there. Maybe this will help. Okay. Does that help? Do you like visuals? There they are. Can read it. Okay. So day two, if this, this helps you. I found this and I thought, ah, that, that, that's helpful. So he forms. Got it? Got it. So Elizabeth, do you have it then? We're ready to go? Okay, that's good. We're good to go. Okay. Day two. Then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Now, one other thing I want to mention to you. Um, if I tell you, ooh, I saw a beautiful sunrise this morning. Does anybody look at me and say, liar? The sun does not technically lie, l- rise. Don't you know? Uh, please don't do that to me. Um, and, and what we would say is, when I make that observation, it's, it, I, it, it's an observation. From my perspective, sitting here on earth, it looks like the sun is rising, doesn't it? You say, but literally that's not true. I know, but it's, it's, it's what I observe. When you look at Genesis 1, don't think that, you, you're, that, that, that Moses is treating this from some moonshot after the, you know, they've made a moon visit because they haven't made one yet. He's giving it from the perspective of the earth and what you would see. And so when God makes the sky, he talks about water above and water below. I, I mean, there was an older view that talked about a canopy and all that. I, I just don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about rain. You know, because when I go out and I look up at the sky and I say, oh, it's really nice. I can see the moon. And all of a sudden it starts raining. It looks like doesn't it? Like the rain's coming down above everything that I see. But you say, no, but technically that's not the case. Technically the cloud. I know, I know, I know. But this is by observation. So it shouldn't surprise us that, that, that he would explain like that. The point is God is creating the heavens, the sky around us, all right? Stay with me, stay with me. Um, let's move to day three. Okay, this is the last forming. Uh, because what I want to do is I want to work through it and then I want to summarize stuff for you. Okay, so I'm coming. All right, forget that pot roast. Let's keep going. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. It's just, it's just, it's just like this, isn't it? God called the dry ground land and, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. God never said, uh, I'd like to do a second run on that one. No. He did it, and it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation and seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that, that, that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in accordance with their kinds. And God saw that it was good. 
and there was evening and there was morning. And that expression, evening and morning, is typically used um, elsewhere in Scripture for a 24-hour period. Okay? There was evening and there was morning a third day. Fourth day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times, the days, and the years. Let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. Remember I told you before, he doesn't identify them here as sun and moon because I think it is a jab at the Egyptian mythology which argued for a sun and a moon god. I, th I think he's just, I think he's gone after that when he, when he says this. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. Isn't that interesting? It's like, oh yeah, by those things too. You know, just, just kind of amazing how he says all that. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So everything now has been formed. And the goal is that people would be able to inhabit the earth. But we're not there yet. He's formed it. So, so now they're in a place where they can actually breathe and eat food and all that kind of stuff. But now he's got to fill it. And he's going to fill it with different creatures. And you can see then, in days four, five, and six, he fills the habitat. He creates the sun and the moon. Uh, to, uh, or, or actually, I already said that one, so he did that on day four. Day five, he creates water and sea creatures with the blessed ability to reproduce. Verses 20, look at what he says. God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and, and that moves about it according to their kinds. According to their kinds. It's not moving from one to another. They're created a certain way. And every winged bird according to its kind. Do we have any bird experts in here? You know, you just love to look at all the different birds. I got a sister-in-law who um, is a scientist, and she just complete, what, like, when we go for a walk out in the woods, it's a bit of a problem, you know, because, like, I just want to, like, walk down the path. Oh, it's really beautiful. And she goes, oh, look, Doug, look at that tree. It's a, just some Latin name. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. I, I just call it a maple. But, you know, you know, and then, you know we, we walk on a little bit, and she goes, oh, look at, look, look at that plant. Do you know what that plant is? No, I really don't, but it's, it's, it's green and fuzzy. It looks pretty interesting to me. I don't know. Let's keep going, right? You know what I mean? But, but you stop and you think to yourself, the, where she's com completely correct is the variety of the world around us. I mean, you've seen some of these Discovery Channel um, draw, uh, on all the different kinds of sea animals there are. And, 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 and I mean, it's, it's completely amazing. Four times a year, our neighbor comes and fixes a little pot of flowers that she puts up right outside our, our main door. And it's, it's always beautiful. And she is an expert on flowers. And I am completely amazed 
by all the different things there. I go out there and I look like I have never seen that thing before in my life. I don't know. It's really nice. I have no idea what it is. Like, she knows all that stuff. And you know, if you're kind of, you've got kind of a green hand, you probably do too. But it's, isn't it incredible? When you look at the variety around us, you just be going to go like, this is crazy. It's God. It's God. And anyway, so, so, so he, he does this in day five, they team. And, and, and again, he says, oh, God actually blesses them and says, I want you to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. And again, God says, it was good. All right? So you see this patterning coming. And one of the things that happens in, the, in Genesis chapter 1 Sometimes when you read narratives in the scripture, think about yourself as a cinematographer trying to film something, right? And sometimes when you're filming, you kind of go like, right? And every once in a while you stop and you kind of do a zoom in and, and you give more details, description, dialogue, whatever, whatever. You pop back out and you kind of, kind of go on again. In Genesis chapter 1, when does the cameraman slow down with day 6? And it's there, when he identifies this day, he doesn't say a sixth day, he says the sixth day. And when he talks, he gives far more details than he does for any of the other five days. Because everything is moving to day six. And on day six, two things happen. We, so we got birds in the sea, we got fish in the, in, in the ocean and, and rivers and all that kind of good stuff. But like, we don't have any land animals. And we don't have any humans. So look at how day six begins. Verse 26. Uh, 24, sorry. And God said... Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Do you see that? The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move al along the ground according to their kinds. Like, if you don't get the kinds thing, you're not reading, right? I mean, he's just like, he keeps saying it. And God saw that it was good. And now we come to the apex of creation. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. There's a fair amount of debate over who the us is in this passage. Okay? The traditional view is that it's um, kind of a cryptic, or maybe not so cryptic, indication of the Trinity. There's other scholars that come along and say, oh no, it's talking about all the angels and heavenly beings and God is saying, let us make man in our image and he's talking to all this group. And others that say, nah, it just means 
God is really God, let us, and it's just, it's just showing how majestic he is. So, yeah, and there's some other, they're the three biggies. I still lean to the traditional view. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because in the text, he says this. God says, let us make man in our image. Look at verse 27. So God created mankind in, he doesn't say their own image. He says his own image. And you say, well, is the Trinity about one or three? Mm -hmm. Three persons, one essence. And it does strike me that this is a foretaste of what is going to be developed later. And so the spirit of the Lord is already hovering over the waters in verse 2, which means the spirit's involved. And when you read the New Testament, Colossians 1 and John 1, there's no question, Jesus is there. So I do lean to the fact that it's, 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 it's probably talking about the Trinity. Again, I have good friends that disagree with me, but um, I, I do think at the end of the day, it's the best understanding. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. What in the world is that? And again, there's a fair amount of discussion on these things. But I think at the end of the day, I would want to say this. Only humans can relate to God and take on responsibilities and honor God in this world. I mean, it's not, it's not like a cow ever sits out there in the pasture and says, like, chewing the cud. You know? Hey, Henry. Looking at the other cow. What do you think's going to happen to us after we die? I don't know. I stayed up all night thinking on that one. I think there's a God. Yeah, me too. Matter of fact, I even tried talking to him. You did? Yeah, how'd it go? Not so good. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, those conversations never occur. There's no ability, there's no consciousness of the, super, of the supernatural if you're an animal. You know, I, I love animals. We all love animals. And we're supposed to care for animals. I think you could say that from this text. Fair enough. But there's a huge difference between us and them. You can't, you can't trans species. You can't go from one to the other. God creates the one, he creates the other. And if you're in this lane, stay in your lane. I mean, that, 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 that's, that's, that's what he does. So let us make man under an image. So somebody is actually able now to worship the true and living God in a conscious way and to represent him in the world around. I think that's what the image ultimately is talking about. So let us make man in our own image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds and the livestock and, and over all the creatures which move on the ground. Everything. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God creates humanity, male and female, and that's it. There's no third option. Because male and female is the only way to fulfill his command to be fruitful and fill the earth. Do you see? 
I mean, this is God's system all the way through. Certain kinds, certain types, and when you, do, when you stay in your lane and do what you're called, there's blessing before God. Verse 28, so God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, and so do it. Um, Kristen was up here talking about needing more help back there um, in, in, uh, in child care. I think that's wonderful. That means we got people in our church that are having babies. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, as long as you're married, keep it up. It's a blessing from God. It's not a bad thing. And honestly, I worry in a world that sometimes looks at these things like children can be discarded, they can be aborted, or, or maybe they can be physically mutilated when they're young based on how they feel. And it's just like, it's crazy. No, the blessing of children and posterity and passing on and letting them move on. This is the blessing of God, as Psalm 127 tells us. Blessed is the person who has their, um, what do you call it? Quiver filled with them. It's, just, it's a blessing from God. Okay, keep going. Subdue the earth, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds, the skies, and everything therein. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And not just for you, but for all these animals. And so here you find God creating man in his own image. I'm sorry, humanity. When I say man, I mean mankind. Both of us, male and female. Humanity in his own image. And he says, I will provide for you as I've called you to rule over the earth, and I'll even provide for all those animals. What a beautiful picture. It ends by saying this, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and he doesn't say that it is good. What's, it say? What's he say here in verse 31? It is what? Very good. All the other stuff is good, perfect. Great. But this... Man and woman thing? Ta-da! Very good. It's, it, it's the crescendo. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then you can see here on the chart then, he forms and fells, climaxing in the sixth day, and then makes this statement again, which Steve mentioned Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. It's done. It doesn't go on. If evolution was true, God would never rest. He can rest because it's complete. And then the seventh day. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And as you know, in Exodus chapter 20, this becomes a pattern for the nation of Israel. And they're to actually honor the Sabbath day, Saturday, as an ongoing reminder. And when the Bible says God's rest, it's not like he got to the seventh day and we're like, 
man, alive was that a tough workout. I should not share this. Blake, where are you? Blake, Blake was telling me about his experience yesterday with, um, um, was it, was it? Yeah, yeah. Square dancing? Something like, line, whatever, whatever you call it, line dancing, okay. And I saw him today, and he was telling me, he said, like, I saw him in the bathroom, and, some, and Scott was there, and he said, how you doing? He said, oh, man, I wore the wrong kind of shoes. You sure? I, now I know why they wear boots, right? And, and, man, I could, like, every time I did the pedal up here, it was hurting. I was watching you. I couldn't concentrate on the song sometimes because, like, like, how's his muscles doing right now? You know? <laughs> it kind of taking me over there. So he needs to rest today. It wasn't like God said, man, was that ever tough? God doesn't rest in the sense like do nothing. He rests in his sovereignty where providentially everything now is under his watch care and he is to be worshiped. Sometimes in the ancient Near East, they would talk about, uh, they would talk about a certain ruler who would actually build the temple and they would say when it was done, he rests doesn't mean he's off the scene. It means he's ready to get all the attention and worship. And this text is saying, he's the, he's the God you worship. And so for the Israelites, there, I mean, in antiquity, not everybody had seven-day weeks. There was a time when the Egyptians had 10-day weeks, and they had like three, three weeks in the month. It was kind of crazy. For, and that stuff all changes. But this is a seven-day week. So that every week you stop and remember, he is creator. He's providentially under, everything's under his providential watch care. He's the ruler. I worship him. Everything will be okay. And they did that again and again and again. It was established for the nation of Israel. So, what can we say? I've sent some of this and I'll just kind of zip through it, see what kind of grabs you. Then I'm going to give you a final statement and wrap her up here. So give me about 10 minutes. Okay, I think I can do it. I will try. What do we learn about God? First of all, God is the sole creator who stands outside of creation. Aren't you thankful for that? He's not within. He never gets caught up in a a hurricane or something like, where'd that thing come from? Oh no, bummer. Where do we go? He's over the whole thing. Stuff happens in your life. He knows and he sees. He sees all. He he is the sole creator. Number two, he's the sovereign creator who calls all to submit to him. He is the God who speaks everything into existence. And when he talks to humans, he says, I want you to replenish the earth, and I want you to subdue it. There's all these commands coming. And on the seventh day when he rests, he expects worship from all. Do you see? Soul creator, sovereign creator. He's the all-powerful creator who speaks and acts. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love to go home today, especially if you didn't get that pot roast in, and just say, Cooked pot roast with carrots and potatoes, a nice coleslaw salad on the side, big glass of iced tea. 
and it's there. Well, I mean, really? I mean, wouldn't that be great? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's not going to happen. But when God speaks, it happens. You know? There's nothing going to stop God when he speaks. He is the all-powerful God. When he speaks and acts, it happens. He's not like Edison that has to go through all these 10,000 failures. He's the all-wise creator whose work is perfect. I love that, don't you? What he creates is good, wholesome, beneficial, life-giving. Because that's who he is. And he's the gracious creator who blesses and provides. He looks at humanity and the Bible says he blessed them. And he said, I will give you everything that you need. Not everything that you want, but everything that you need. What if God was just transcendent there, which he is, and unconcerned about being here and being present with us? It'd be tough, wouldn't it? But this great God who can do anything when he speaks, it just happens. He's the ruler. He's outside of creation. He's concerned about us. So much so that he sent his son to become one of us. Think about that one. The creator outside, second person of the Trinity, becomes one of us. Just, I, it, it's, isn't it mind-boggling? I, I love it. I can't figure it all out, but I really love it. He's the gracious creator. And I might say this too. What do we learn about us? Just a couple quick things. Human beings are the apex of creation. There's no question about that in this passage. It was very good. In the image of God. So when humans devalue themselves as being insignificant and not important, are you kidding? You say, yeah, but we're sinners. You're sinners. That's true. But 1 Corinthians 11 and James chapter 3 tells us we are in the image of God even as sinners. Now, we're not living up to the worship we should. We're not living up to being responsible as we should. But there's that capacity there, isn't there? The image is marred, but it's still there. We are created in the image of God, and if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are called to find your ultimate purpose in worshiping him and representing him in all of your responsibilities and in all of your relationships. That's what he calls us to. He created male and female. Folks, I don't have to tell you that this is a major problem in our day. It's a major problem. And, 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 and Christian groups are getting fuzzy on this. You must always love the sinner. For you are a sinner saved by grace. You are one that struggles too. But you can never condone or affirm something that's outside of God's design. Can never. Should you push those people away? No. You enter into their suffering with them as you do with any kind of sin and struggle. 
you try to lead them to Christ and then walk with them as they are trying to work through their feelings of what it means then to ultimately come to submit to Christ as Lord. So love is not off the table. Love has to be even more intentional in these areas. But you cannot affirm, for to affirm is not to love. It is male and female who come together with the ability, and you say, yeah, but some people, some, some people um, are infertile. I, I know, we live in a sin-cursed, broken world. I get that. But God's intention is that male and female come together in marriage and then procreate in generation to generation to generation. Okay, does, does that make sense? We, we can't blur these distinctions. Jesus in Matthew 19, before he talks about the d divorce issue and talks about Genesis 2, he starts in Genesis 1. He said, in the beginning, God made male and female, period. That's it. And, and in this whole area of sexual confusion, we cannot forget that. But we must love the sufferer and meet them where they are and by God's grace, be used of him to lead them where they can be, they could be. Does that make sense? We, 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 there's, 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 no, there's no wiggle room on this. Number four. Human beings are blessed with a life-giving capacity in stewardship. So I was joking a little bit about the nursery and all back there, but um, children are a blessing from the Lord. You say, oh, I had a terrible upbringing, or, or it's not gone so well always with my own children. I, I, look, I know, we're all realists. We get those things. But as we seek to walk with God in these areas, it is one of the gifts that he gives us as, as married couples. And, and you say, but we can't have children. There's other options like adoption or ministering to people in special ways. There's all kinds of things you can still do. But, but, but his, his norm is that we would see this as, as a blessing uh, and the, the idea that of, of being able to pass on life. And it's also a blessing to be a steward of God in this world. So, you know, you may be a farmer. That's a high calling. You steward for God. You may be involved in a business where you're, you're developing technology in some way. You steward for God. We need ethical individuals in areas of technology. At every level, the way we look at the world. I mean, does anybody in here like want dirty air, dirty, dirty water, and crummy food? No. We all should want those things. It's part of managing this world around us. So they're good things and we should support them. You can go wacky on this stuff too. I get it. And people do. I'm not a PETA guy because there's a big difference between animals and people. You know? But, but, but not having said all that kind of stuff, you ought not mistreat your pet for sure. That's all true. He wants us to steward everything we come into in contact with. Whatever it is, in a way that honors him. We're stewards. And lastly, we are always sustained by God's gracious provision. I will never make it on my own. I can never cut that path myself. If I think I am, it's only because God is gracious to me whether I recognize it or not. But God is the gracious one who provides. 
And so, I'm going to give you like a really long, long statement that nobody will remember. So just look at the second one. But I'm going to read the first one. You won't remember it. Maybe you'll remember the second one. Here's the long one. The soul, sovereign, all-powerful, all-wise, all-gracious creator, forms and fills a good world in six days by his word, which culminates in his special creation of image-bearing male and female humans, and then rests from all of his creative work on the seventh day as the sovereign God to be worshipped and represented by all humanity. Think in one sentence, in a long one, that's what he's saying. Better, the great and gracious creator of all, who is over all, wants all of us to humbly know him and pervasively represent him. One more slide and I'm done. I want to just for a moment think about, I was going to look at some of these, I'll just summarize them for you, but I want to think for just a minute about um, with that as being a reality, this is who God is, this is who we are, as we were created. The way things should be is what you see in Psalm 19, Isaiah 40, Colossians 1, and Revelation 4. And so, for instance, in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and you can see him there, right? It's beautiful. Isaiah chapter 40, it's a wonderful text. As he's trying to encourage people who are discouraged with where they are and he basically says, look up. The, the God who has created all of this, he will care for you. It's a wonderful text. And, and what's my next one? Ah, Colossians 1. Christ... Christ was there, involved in the entire process. He was not part of creation. He's outside of it. In Revelation 4, you are worthy, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That's what it's supposed to be, isn't it? Where we just kind of cut loose and say, God, you are wonderful, and we... We actually get to know you and serve you. Thank you, God. I want to live my life. That, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it should be. But what, what, what is the way that it actually is so often? We live in a world where everything is upside down. And the verses I have listed for you there, Romans 1 and John 1. Romans 1 will tell us this, that the world around us suppresses and pushes down the reality that God is God. They look up and they try to deny it. They feel pain in their conscience and they try to psychologize it away. They, they just, they're always suppressing, suppressing. You know, it's like one of those balls, you know, those beach balls. You know, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to try to push it under the water. What happens? Boop, just beep, they keep popping up. And so many people live their life trying to push it down. God is at work to look it around saying, there's got to be more to life than me. Boop, push it down. Oh, I guess not. Oh, yeah, 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 good, good. The thing pops up again. It's just, they live their life suppressing. And Romans 1 says, when you suppress worship, you will pervert lifestyle. 
You will lie. You will steal. You will use people. And then he gets into some of the sexual perversions. Romans 1 unpacks all those things. Because when this is incorrect, this will be incorrect at every level. It's the way it works. In John 1, after telling us the wonders of who Jesus is, the word actually became one of us and walked among us. And then it says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. That's crazy. Creator loving us so much that he becomes one of us. And we go, ah. but to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to be called children of God. You see, we see a mix in our day. But may we as God's people model both worship and stewardship wherever we find ourselves. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this text. Would you by your grace, for your glory, for our good, would your spirit work in our hearts so that we can't get away from this idea that you are the sovereign above us who loves us, who cares for us, but is over us. May that so shape us, Lord, that it changes what we do this afternoon, all week long, and for the rest of our lives. For Lord, you are worthy of all praise and glory and wonder, for you created all things. And as the apex, you created us in your image. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good for the land that conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born and the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not fade by his blood and in his name in his freedom i am free for the love of jesus christ who has resurrected me that we see and that we don't see. And we appreciate you and love you. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs> 